In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So in 1978, Nicholas Humphrey, he's a professor of psychology at London School of Economics, he did some interesting research. Okay, so he was studying the correlation between intelligence and the lifestyle settings. So he looked at how intelligence is correlated with community living. Okay, and so he concluded that intelligence does have a correlation with living within a community. So his conclusions were that those who live in a community-type lifestyle, in a community setting, are actually smarter than those who don't. Okay, so he found a positive correlation between intelligence and community living. And so there are many reasons for that. I'm not going to get into all the details of this study, but when, when you collaborate with each other in a community, obviously you share ideas. It inspires you to be more innovative. When you collaborate together, you, you have more personal time. You have more leisure time. You can be more creative. Um, you can be more dedicated to your own work because everybody's helping each other. The whole community becomes more efficient. And the list goes on of all the benefits, but in essence, he found that community living had such a profound benefit on all the individuals within the community that on average, they were smarter. They had a higher level of intelligence than other lifestyle settings. Today in the passage, we see Christ alludes to the significance of unity very clearly. They accuse him of casting out Satan by the power of Satan. He says, if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided and his kingdom cannot stand. Like, unity is very essential. It's important. And not only is it important for the stability of the unit, but the benefits that come from unity and living within a community are countless. So... I want to talk to you about this concept of unity and how we can reap the benefits of living within a community. And of course, by this I don't just mean any sort of unity because there are some units that are not good. Right? There are gangs out there and they're united, but obviously it's a unity for the wrong cause. They're united for the wrong reasons. Right? So it's not like every unit is good in and of itself. So it's not like any sort of teamwork is inherently good. There could be evil teamwork or corrupt teamwork, just like you see within gangs or, or other units that have evil intentions. Okay? But when we're united in Christ, then our goal is Christ. So our unity comes as a product of our bond with Christ, and He is the center of our community. Okay? So when we talk about a life of unity... What we really mean is living together, right? Not just in our homes, in our families, but within our churches, within the body of Christ as a whole. You can have a lifestyle of unity when you're independent, right? And this is how we're created to live. Even monks live in a sort of community, right? A monk goes to be alone with God, but he's not separated from the world as if he's against the world, he goes and he's still working with his brothers and his elders. And that's the type of lifestyle that refines him. Okay? Because we need that lifestyle. Right? So when it comes to unity, I think there are many important precautionary measures we have to take 
But I'm just going to focus on three little warnings that we can keep in mind to protect us as we try to build a lifestyle of communion and unity with one another. Okay, so three warnings about unity or living in a community. First is that unity is not about uniformity. Unity is not about uniformity, and I'll explain to you what that means. Second is that unity is not about the spotlight to honor the elite. It's not about the prestigious figure in the unit, like the leader, or whoever may be significant within that team. And third is that unity is not about individualism. It's not about the individual person within the unit. So the first one that I mentioned is that unity is not about uniformity. Okay, so one of the benefits from living within a community is the diversity that exists within a community. A lot of times we think for us to be united, we have to have a sense of uniformity. We have to have the same exact opinions, the same exact perspectives, the same exact styles. And that's actually detrimental to the growth of a unit or a team. Diversity is very important because it allows for different perspectives, it allows for more creativity. And it's hard for us to really digest that because it creates some tension, it creates a little bit of conflict. We want everybody to have the same perspective as we do and it's a little bit easier whenever we just live with people that share our same opinions and so on, right? A lot of times we define what's good or bad based on what agrees or disagrees with our opinions. Right? If this agrees with my opinion, that's good. If it doesn't, ah, that's bad. Right? Or based on my perspective or based on what makes sense to me. If this doesn't make sense to me, then I discredit it, I dismiss it, and that's what I define as my opposition. Right? Jack Philippe says, we must be careful not to turn our families and communities into permanent war zones divided between defenders of order and defenders of freedom, partisans of punctuality and partisans of easygoingness, lovers of peace and quiet and lovers of exuberance, early birds and night owls, chatterers and taciturn types, and so on. We need to accept other people just as they are, Understand that their approach and values are not the same as ours, and to broaden our minds and soften our hearts toward them. That isn't easy. It means seeing our own wisdom in relative terms and becoming small and humble. How true is that? Right? We want to just be with the people that share our type of perspectives and opinions, and you know, whenever we're with someone who's super organized, you know, I, I might be a little bit irritated because I, I'm just a little bit loose with the way I, I live my life and, you know, that creates a little bit of tension or the other way around, whenever you're organized and somebody's just kind of, you know, he, he, he has a, an organized mess <laughs> that, that he calls and this is the way I live my life. There's the early birds and the night owls. I like that <laughs> contrast, but... All of these things are simple examples within our life that show us how we're all different. And we all have different mindsets, different perspectives. But that's beautiful. Yes, it can cause a little bit of tension whenever we're trying to discuss things and we're trying to even debate 
to come to terms with the truth and the, the best way to do this thing or that thing. But if we embrace that, then we can look at our own wisdom in relative terms, just like the very last sentence in that quote. Because I may be missing something, and somebody else may be able to see what's I'm, what I'm missing. I, I, I may not realize this part of the whole process that somebody else realizes that you know this is an important part to consider. And so when we think of unity, it doesn't mean uniformity of perspectives and uniformity of styles and uniformity of opinions. As a matter of fact, that could be very dangerous because that's a unit that's not going to grow. That's a unit that's just going to be stuck in their own comfort zone. Everybody nods and agrees with whatever you say. Uh, sure, you might live a happy life, but it's going to be a boring, fruitless life. Okay? If you think of how Christ chose his disciples, this just blows me away. You have guys that are totally ignorant and they do nothing but fish all day long. You know, they don't have a real education. And then you have somebody like John who's educated. You have Peter and Andrew who just have a very simple lifestyle and all they know is their trade just to go fishing. You have someone like Levi who was a tax collector and obviously they don't have the best reputation. And like the list goes on of all of these different personalities. And I, I can imagine if Christ wanted to find a group of people that can get along, he'll find similar people, right? So, you know, we can get somewhere together so it could be easier to teach everybody and we can grow. But like he wanted to create a war zone within his discipleship. So he chose the most different people, right? But of course there was a purpose behind it. There was a reason behind it. And the reason was that Christ didn't want the disciples to learn from him alone, not just from him, but he wanted them to learn from each other as well. And that's why he put them in these different situations. He, he put so many different perspectives together. And this is how the church was built. The church was built on a diversity of perspectives. And of course, this is centered in the truth. Right? This is centered in an orthodox mindset. This is centered in Christ himself. He is the one and only way, the way, the truth, and the life. But within that, again, there was a diversity of perspectives and opinions. Jack Fleep says, I've lived in a community for 25 years, and I may have received more from people I found it hard to get along with than from those I found congenial. Those I found to get along with opened my horizons to other values, but if I'd only met people who agreed with me, I might have never glimpsed any new horizons. And I think we could all agree with that. Whenever you're with people that really challenge you, and they might be a little bit difficult to get along with, and then you have that breakthrough, like, wait, that's right, I didn't consider this. You know, maybe that'll work. Maybe it's important to look at it from this perspective or that perspective. And... If we do that, we have the humility to do that, then our unit, our whole body grows. Okay? The second little warning about unity is that unity is not about the spotlight to honor the elite. Okay? In sports, you always see how there's the MVP, there's this 
big figure on the team and you say like you know he, he carries the team on his shoulder and all the spotlight is on this one person it's almost like he is the team right this person is the team and you could apply that in just about any team sport like you look at soccer and you have somebody like Messi you say okay he carries the team on his back or in, in basketball you have somebody like LeBron or when Jordan played you say okay Jordan is the team right and so you identify the strength of the unit by the individual by the person and then you forget about the other casual figures that are just sitting there and just a part of the team in the in, in the background or in the shadow of these great figures and if we look at unity in that way we never come to realize that the heart of unity is not about the elite figures in the spotlight, but it's actually those who do the work in the background, those who are considered to be less significant. St. John Chrysostom says, you who receive little, you equally contribute to the body and you enjoy much honor. The members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. I spoke to you before about um, my, my visit to Father Lazarus in uh, St. Anthony's Monastery. And one of the most beautiful experiences in my entire life, just sitting for a couple of hours with this man, he shared with me his story. You know, he's an anchorite and he lives uh, alone in, in this cave and he has a real deep life of prayer. Um, some of his uh, interviews are, are on YouTube and you can get a sense of his spirituality and his wisdom, but it's interesting that as influential as this man was, he wouldn't be where he is today and he wouldn't be affecting the people that he's affecting today. He wouldn't be this light shining in the wilderness. Had it not been for this one young girl that one day asked him to read the Bible with her. Whereas he was just in a library and this young lady just had a Bible with her. She just invited him to read the Bible. And that set a little spark. And of course, God continued to work in his life a little bit later. Um, he had an experience with St. Mary and then he continued to build on that. But all you see is this saint living in a cave and he's shining with the light of Christ and you say, okay, this is the most significant figure in the body of Christ. This is the person who's affecting everybody. But that would be a very superficial way to look at it because behind that was someone simple who put his life into motion. Right? And then you can apply that to our lives as well. I, I know that for me personally, like I might be up here as the priest preaching and you say, okay, uh, he's the shepherd in the church and maybe the spotlight's on the, the, the figure that's leading. But in reality, it's the people that are, are working as these units, collaborating together and supporting each other that are the real strength of the body of Christ. There's a book called the Living Church, and um, in this book there was a study or a survey of over 50,000 people 
for, for a period of over 10 years that were surveyed to analyze the reason why people come to church. Okay, and so I'll share with you some of the conclusions from this research. About 75 to 90 percent of the people that responded to these questions about why you attend to church, why you come, why you even go, they responded saying, I began attending because someone invited me. Okay, and so, okay, if you look at who's more influential, all of the people in the church, and you say, okay, maybe uh, if the priest invites you, or if one of the servants, or, you know, somebody like the pastor goes out and he does pastoral visits, then that's going to get people to come to church. But, like, I was blown away by these statistics, so I'm just going to show you, like, this, this little study here. He says that only 2% of the people came to church because of the advertisements that the church would display, whether it's social media or whatever. Okay? 6% attended because the pastor personally went to invite the person. Okay? And another 6% were by organized evangelism campaigns, like having more organized services. Okay? 86% of the people said that I came to church because a friend invited me. That's compared to the 6% that you see from pastoral visits. So if you think your, your task in the body of Christ is insignificant, think again. If you think your role is insignificant, think again, because nothing can be further from the truth. St. John Chrysostom says, God has bound us together in many ways. Nevertheless, not even this was enough. And so God made us to need one another because necessities create friendships. God made sure that everything couldn't be produced in every place for just this reason so that He might compel us to mix with one another. And that's the truth, is that we need one another. And God created this network within the body of Christ to be this way so that I have my limitations but they're completed by what you can provide or your strengths. And you have some limitations that are complemented by the strengths of others or the other way around. This is the way we're created so that we develop the sense of interdependence. We depend on one another. Okay? Down to the smallest figure. Or even a child that just walks in and maybe an adult or a servant, somebody that has a big role, quote-unquote, in the church, he walks in and he sees this child, and even though he's had a bad day and he's been sad, just the child puts a smile on his face. And so even that little child has such a critical role in the body of Christ. So don't ever diminish the significance of your role, because it's what makes the unit fruitful. The third warning, the, the final warning that I want to mention to you is that unity is not about individualism. I think we can maybe write a book on this or, or maybe deliver a hundred different sermons about this concept that unity is not about individualism. Selfishness is the cancer of unity. And we are in the most individualistic time of our life. Everything is about you do you. Everything is about 
you know, fight for your rights. It's not about, you know, what helps your brother. It's not about caring for your brother. It's about taking care of yourself and yourself alone, right? And that mindset is a cancer in any team or any unit. Even a unit as evil as Satan's kingdom. And Christ said, if Satan was individualistic in that way, if he divides himself, his kingdom cannot stand. That's how cancerous individualism is to the body of Christ or any unit. Matthew Ridley, he's a, a British journalist that did some studies, uh, several studies throughout the 60s and the 70s. He concluded this after all of his research. He said, again and again in accounts of these communities, what brings them down is not the disapproval of the surrounding society, but the internal tension caused by individualism. We're, we're often so worried about the external attacks on the body of Christ. We're often concerned about all of these deceptions that try to divide us. But I think the biggest harm comes from within, from individualism within the body of Christ. That's what's going to divide us. No matter what happens outside, so long as we are a unit, so long as we are caring for one another and our concern is not our own personal life, but others, we remain united with each other and we remain strong. I remember this little example that one of the servants in my Sunday school showed us and I was young but it stuck with me till this day. I would actually... Do, you, do, do it up here, but I don't have uh, the time. But he just took a, a, a toothpick and he said, okay, is this easy to break? And of course, everybody said, yeah, and he broke it. He took a couple together and it was easy still to break. He said, yeah, and he still broke both of them together. And he added like three or four more toothpicks. And then until he had like 20 toothpicks or 30 toothpicks in his hand, and he passed it around to all of the kids and they tried to break it. Nobody could break it. Okay, because when you're alone, when you're concerned about yourself, you actually hurt yourself because you don't have the support of others. And so when I go out to help my brothers and sisters, what I'm doing is I'm increasing the strength of the whole body. I'm benefiting myself as well. Right? When I love, when I serve. Yeah, we can say that there's some altruism in that act, but in reality... I am experiencing the grace of Christ. I'm strengthening myself by experiencing God's love. And that's what benefits the whole unit. There's this song that we always sing as children in Arabic is Kanfi an Udainab, you know, like this song about how this monk found some grapes and they were out of season and so he wanted to share with the other monks. And he didn't want to eat it himself because it was just so precious to find grapes growing out of season. So he took it to one monk and that monk you know, didn't want to eat it for himself and that monk wanted to give it to the other monk. And the, the whole story is just about how the, these grapes circulated throughout the whole monastery from one monk to another. Such a simple song, such a, a simple example. But this is the essence of unity. Love that's displayed in a very practical and a simple way. 
that I have something that I can do for myself, but I want to actually help my brother out of my unselfishness. So I'll just leave you with a simple example that I actually experienced in my first week serving at Christ the Savior whenever we were praying at Pascha in Holy Week. It was just me and Jack in the beginning of the service, and we prayed the long psalms. And of course, like after praying the long psalms, like two or three times, like it's a little hard. So we were trying to like get other people to participate as well. But there's only like a handful of people in the congregation, and no one knew the long psalm or the chant. Um, someone came in, and uh, this person had a young child with him. Uh, his uh, his baby, I think, was like maybe three, four years old. And uh, we asked him to, to chant the psalm. And he said, I, I need to take care of my child. I'm, I'm, I'm with my child and it's going to be hard. And he said, it's okay, don't worry. Like, you know, we're, we're trying to like encourage him. Like, you'll be fine, man. Just give us a break. Come and chant one of the songs. And so he went up. And as he was chanting, uh, of course, his child just started to lose it because um, now dad is gone. So the child started banging on the pews and like making all this noise and stuff. And like, obviously I'm trying to just like pray and not be distracted by it. And then I finally look back and I see one of the servants on the other side of the church walked over across to the other end of the church, had a little coloring book with the Bible stories, and just sat with the child and helped the child to be engaged in something spiritual while his father is chanting the song. That just blew me away. Because a lot of times we see someone struggling and we're like, Malish Dawa, that's, that's not my child. Or, or, or even worse, we say, like, what are you doing going up to chant the psalm and you're leaving your child behind? Like, maybe you care more about how you sound and maybe you care more about singing than to be with your child and we get a little bit judgmental or whatever. And that's the worst case scenario. But typically, we're not as proactive in stepping out of our comfort zone to say, hey, it's not about me. Yes, this isn't my child. Like, yes, this wrapper on the ground isn't mine, but I'm going to pick it up and throw it away. These little things are so critical. And so long as we have this love, we have this unselfishness, then the unit, the body of Christ continues to thrive. And to God is due our glory forever. Amen.